today on CityCast Madison. As we come together with our families for the holidays, it can be hard not to notice. Maybe grandma's had a few close calls on the road lately, or mom keeps leaving the stove on. How do you know when it's time to talk about it? And for people living with dementia, how do we make the holidays more enjoyable? We've got clinical psychologist Mary Wyman here to help us out. She studies dementia and memory loss at both the Madison VA and UW-Madison. It's Tuesday, December 20th. I'm Bianca Martin, and this is CityCast Madison. Hi, Mary. Hi there, Bianca. Thanks for joining us. I'm so grateful that we're having this conversation now because folks are headed into the holidays or we're already in the holidays and we're heading home. There's so much going on. There's so much energy. There's so many dynamics. And I wanted to hear from you about how can we make the holidays more enjoyable for those with dementia and memory loss and and make it a space that they can participate in and we can feel good about it. The holidays are a really special time, and we know that older adults that have cognitive problems, so memory loss, dementia, it can be harder and harder to filter out extraneous noise, to direct your attention. Let's say you're having a conversation with one person in a busy room with lots of family, kids milling around, noise, eating going on. That can be really difficult for an older adult with dementia, and it can be overwhelming and exhausting. And the other thing that can come into play is many older adults with dementia also have hearing, vision, or movement problems, not all, but many. So that can come into play as well. So if your hearing isn't so great and then your brain is struggling to focus in on a conversation and a meaningful connection with someone at a busy holiday party or an event, that can be more difficult as well. It can be physically taxing for older adults with mobility problems to take part in some holiday traditions that they maybe always were part of before. They may not be able to express that, but it can be hard to sit for a long time, to stand, to walk. And those are all adjustments that families want to be aware of, even if their older loved one is not able to really say, hey, I can't really walk I can't stand and watch the holiday parade this year or even sitting. I get cold. It's uncomfortable. Can you share the basics of dementia and memory loss? Because I understand there's a fair amount of misinformation out there. Yeah, there really is. You know, so dementia is a word that I think everybody knows, but people have really different understandings of what it actually is. So let's start out by talking about what normal aging is. Um, We know from a lot of research that as we get older, along with the rest of our body, our brains change. What that often looks like is the ability to process information coming in might get a little bit slower. We might need a little bit of help with memory, and that kind of looks like using writing things down on the calendar when maybe we didn't have to do that or keeping notes to jog our memory. All of those are really normal things. Um, People talk about walking into a room and forgetting what they're there for or misplacing their car keys more frequently. And again, those are, are really pretty normal changes that reflect changes in our ability to divide our attention or multitask. That just gets a little bit more difficult for most of us as we get older. 
all really normal things. And I think it's important that people know about that because sometimes when those things start happening, either to yourself or to an older loved one in your family, it can be very concerning and people might have a question of, oh my gosh, what's happening? Kind of having questions about, is this something new? Is this something that maybe we should seek a doctor? Exactly. That's right. And so dementia, let me just, I guess, start out by kind of getting the facts out there about that. Dementia is an umbrella term, and it refers to a lots of different changes in our thinking. So memory is one aspect of our thinking, but also dementia, you know, other aspects of our thinking include changes in attention, changes, changes in concentration, changes in our ability to sort of organize ourselves and steps in a given task. Dementia means that there are changes in some type of our, some aspect of our thinking that are severe enough to cause problems in daily life that a person with dementia is not able to actually um, do what they need to do to take care of themselves and to keep safe every day. Alzheimer's disease is one word that also a lot of people know. That is one cause of dementia. It's what we what we think is the most common cause among older adults of dementia. And I just wanted to throw out there in terms of like neurodiversity, there's not one shape. It's not like it looks like this or it shows up like this. And People might be thinking, well, is it time? Do I need to seek a doctor for my loved one? What sort of signs show up for you to know like, hey, this is a little bit more than normal cognitive decline? Yeah. And I, I want to just underline the point that you made about dementia presents in really many different forms. And that's even true for a dementia that we believe would be caused by the same brain changes, Alzheimer's disease it can look different in everybody. So some people will have the start of the problems might be with memory, problems with short-term memory. So forgetting appointments, maybe getting lost in familiar areas, sometimes forgetting names or forgetting relationships. So information that normally they would be able to handle and remember and be able to sort of pull out of their brains at the right time, having a hard time doing that. But for other people, the earliest warning signs might be behavior changes or personality changes. We know that depressive symptoms, so either losing motivation or feeling sad or just kind of feeling shut down, those can be some of the earliest signs for some people that later develop some of the thinking problems. Mm, I didn't know that. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. So that's one thing I always recommend to families. If there are changes in mental health, either anxiety is another pretty common thing that can pop up, feeling worried, not being able to control those worries for the older person, or as I said, something more like depression, that can be a time that um, along with talking to a doctor about those mental health symptoms, making sure that a cognitive screening, a very brief evaluation is done to just take a look at those thinking functions. It just seems like people are probably heading home some concerned that they might have to have conversations with their loved ones that maybe things have changed and it's time to give up some of the ways of your life that you're used to, like driving a car, for instance, or having to ask your parent to move out. How do you start those conversations? Oh, that's such a good question. And those changes can be so hard. There's a lot of symbolic loss with having or moving out of your house, choosing to move out of your house because you need a more supported living environment, 
or stopping driving or retiring from driving, which is the term that we often try to use with families. So there's a lot of symbolic loss of freedom and independence, but there are also very real burdens that come out of moving out of a home. If they have to move out, they might be concerned about the financial burden of moving into a supported living environment or being a burden on family if they would move in with their family. And of course, driving is a way that people get around and do the things they need to do every day, get to medical appointments, visit people, do their shopping. I think first and foremost, I would just like to recommend to families that they recognize that these losses are real. I think sometimes it can be easy for those of us with older loved ones to only see all of the deficits and the problems that they're having living their lives as they are and be very concerned about safety and kind of forget that very real transition and those very real losses. So I think some compassion, first and foremost, is really important to have for your loved one. So I recommend to families that they start this conversation about these changes way before they're needed. You can start out a conversation, you know, before while someone is still doing just fine in their own home and just say, gee, mom, have you thought about if you weren't able to live here anymore, what would you like to do? Where would you like to go? Or would you like to stay here but bring in some support? Start those conversations and leave plenty of time for those conversations to evolve over time because they can be really hard and it can take a lot of courage for a, for a family member to bring that up with the loved one. But they've done a lot for us. They've done a lot of role modeling of hard things and that's something we can do for them, role modeling these hard conversations. Are there any activities that, that stand out to you as like good options during these times, during the holidays? I usually recommend that people start thinking about what's important to that family member most of all, sort of a priority, because there are lots of things going on in the holidays. There can be some really special traditions that families like to do. Maybe there's a particular meal, particular type of food that always gets served, and that might be really important to your older loved one. Or it might just be about having contact with family members that they don't see often, being able to give the grandkids a hug and sit and hear about how their lives are. So you can also talk to your older loved one about, you know, mom, um, the holidays are coming up, lots of things going on. It may be a lot to do for you to do all of it. Can you tell me what feels really important to you to make sure that we help you arrange for this holiday season? I'm really curious about music in the holidays because that's such a, I've, heard and read a few things about the power of music. I know it. I don't need to read about it to know the power of music. And in terms of memory and, you know, reconnecting, do you have any thoughts about that at this time of year? And the foundation of this, Bianca, is the fact that our stereotypes about people with dementia are so focused on all of the deficits, all the impairments, all the things that aren't there anymore, the abilities that aren't there. And there has been, within our society very little um, awareness and focus on the things that remain, even as things like memory abilities get worse and worse over time, typically, because most dementias will slowly progress and get worse over time um, among our older family members. So 
connecting to music is one of those things that there's a lot of evidence that says that favorite music, memory, and um, being able to be moved emotionally and really present listening to that music is something that remains for a very, very long time. And in fact, can support um, sort of the ability to access other memories. So listening to music from their young adulthood, maybe their courtship days with their with their partner um, can bring up other memories and a lot of joy and very happy memories from that time. So Christmas or the holidays in general, for those who don't celebrate Christmas, can be a time that that there's a lot of really meaningful music that's played every year and familiar. It could be church hymns, it could be sort of popular Christmas music or other types of music. So that's a wonderful thought. Again, everybody is different, but it would be worth paying attention to favorite music that your older loved one might have and seeing how you can bring that in. Yeah, I, I love that. And I also feel like music for me personally helps calm my nervous system. I always have music playing in my head. And so I think if this time is like particularly stressful, that might even um, aid there. And I, I hope to use that as a transition to talk about the caregivers and, and people who, you know, daughters, sons, grandchildren who are coming into the space um, uh, or, you know, are regularly with their loved ones with dementia and memory loss. And like, how can we or they help themselves be present and supportive during this time because it's quite challenging. I just, you know, I've experienced recently a loved one who has had a pretty sharp decline and it's hard to know how to show up like because the person used to be um, like an executive, she ran her life like she, you know, don't tell her what to do. But now everyone's kind of running circles around her and she's disoriented. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I guess, first of all, I want to say that there are so many different types of family caregivers. And in the research, some of the research that I do, I work with caregivers and study caregiving. And it's interesting, many people don't, they don't identify with that label caregiver. Um, they simply say, well, this is what I do. I'm mom's daughter. And so I'm helping her. And for family members that live at a distance who are nonetheless involved and doing a lot of um, things to support an older loved one, sometimes they have a hard time identifying as a caregiver because they don't actually live in the same town or in the same house. So I first wanna say that caregiving takes a lot of different forms. And as you mentioned, there's kind of some complicated emotions that can come up around really wanting to do the right thing for your older loved one, being aware of maybe some grief and some sadness and loss as that person changes. Change is a part of life, but of course, when it's someone who has been there as they are for so long in your own life, seeing them change and different aspects of who they are not being as visible or present all the time can be really difficult. As always, I recommend acknowledging that inside, recognizing that it is hard, um, not brushing that off. Yeah. Well, it's huge. You have to think about how to care for the caregivers. And I love what you said, holding the space and honoring the fact that this is can feel like it's a form of grief and, and being conscientious of that and acknowledging that. And it's huge. I feel like I could talk to you forever. And I just want to thank you so deeply for taking the time to educate us and give us some tools as we head into the holidays. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here. 
Mary Wyman is a clinical psychologist at the Madison VA Hospital. She's also an associate professor at UW-Madison, and she does research for the Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center. The Madison VA was the first VA in the country to be recognized as a dementia-friendly hospital. Check out our show notes for links to her recommended resources. And here's what else Madison's talking about. Cold weather, welcome back, our bitter friend. We're in single digits territory this week, so bundle up. And it looks like we may actually be getting a white Christmas this year. Crossing my fingers. And $10 billion. That's what CVS and Walgreens will pay for their part in fueling the opioid crisis. A whole bunch of states and cities sued the pharmacies for failing to adequately track just how many prescriptions they were distributing. They'll now have to monitor and share data about suspicious activity related to opioid prescriptions. Wisconsin is expected to get $173 million as a part of the settlement. And before you go, one last thing. We're counting down the days to the new year, and we're making resolutions. What do you want for our fair city next year? Send us your New Year's resolution for the city of Madison. Just record a voice memo on your phone with your name and your resolution, then email it to us. We're Madison at citycast.fm. Or you can leave us a voicemail at 608-318-3367. That's all for today here on CityCast Madison. I'm Bianca Martin. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell your favorite cousin about us? We'll be back Thursday morning with more news from around the city. Talk soon.